I want more. <laughs> I wish my children could actually see you guys. Because we're going through this season of practice, right? Practice, practice, practice. You will eventually like it. They look like they liked it, right? <laughs> Thank you, guys. Beautiful music. What a beautiful atmosphere that makes. I was a child that grew up and fought my parents the entire way learning the piano. I played for eight years, first grade to eighth grade, told my parents, when I get old enough to make a choice, I'm never going to play. I wish more than anything I could still play. And I, I actually made it. I'm a king of fake it till you make it. Any musicians like that in here? I could play by ear, never really learned to play music. I would go to my music teacher and I would say, I'm having a problem playing this particular piece. Can you play it for me? She'd play it. I'd play it right back. She thought I was practicing, but I wasn't a practicer. This morning, we're going to talk about practice what you preach. Thank you, by the way, for the update to um, the Ukraine. Um, I, I, I'm always pleased when I see our church being very active, especially in such extreme cases. Um, and I, my younger brother is actively involved in, in ministering in, in search and rescue type settings. He's been to the Ukraine, and, and in fact, right now he's in Israel. Um, and uh, very, very interesting. He has this saying that he always says that kind of stuck with me. You can live a few weeks without food. You can live a few days without water. You can live a few days without, or a few moments without air, a few minutes. But you cannot live a single second without hope. And hope is what we are called to give to those around us. So I hope and pray that you get a blessing out of this morning's talk. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, this is your hour. This is your time. And so I just thank you for this opportunity to share some of the things that I need to hear, that I need to learn. And Lord, as, as uh, you use these words, may they be to your glory and your honor. May we see a clearer picture of how much you love and care for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you in this room right now can think of someone in your head that you don't like? Don't raise your hand. Are you laughing because there's really people in your life that you don't like? I mean, you really don't like. This message that I want to share with you this morning, I hope there's someone here today that will get a blessing from this. What are we doing here? Why, why are we here? What is the purpose of our Christianity and our walk and everything that we're sitting here laboring day after day, time after time, coming to church, all this energy, all this effort, are we actually living what we're reading? I want you to reflect on that. And most of these things that I bring up this morning, I want you to just, just think about your own walk. Do you really honestly practice what you preach? 
I'm married to a woman, and I love coming back to Loma Linda because this is actually where my journey back into Christianity began. My wife was going through the dental hygiene program. I was living in Los Angeles, and the first few moments that I ever came back into the church was here in Loma Linda. I was a raised an Adventist. I grew up going to all of our schools, and I made it out into the heart of Babylon, not California necessarily, just, just, just Babylon out in, in Los Angeles. And I'll tell you what, I know firsthand what it's like to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And God has had to work with me over the years, still working with me. Do I practice what I preach through and through? My wife is one of those people, you, you, you get what you see or you see what, 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 what kind of a person she is when, even when no one's watching. She will literally press the walk button to go across the street and wait for the walk sign where it's like me. I'm just like, there's no cars, let's go. <laughs> but she says, but the law says you need to wait for that sign. Any of you guys like that? I hope you get a blessing out of today's talk. So let's talk about something for a second. You're here in Loma Linda. What if I wanted to work out? Which one of these would be someone I should choose? Should I choose the guy that looks the part or maybe the guy that's able to wear the clothes? Right? We do this on a daily basis. We choose people that we think look that part, right? If I wanted to invest money and I really seriously had a choice between these two individuals, who am I more likely to say, well, I'm going to trust this person over this person? Why? Because they look the part or maybe they actually know the part? How about marriage? How many of you know what the actual statistics are of marriage if you're a Christian versus non-Christian, can somebody tell me what the statistic is? Same? I actually thought that. I looked this up, and I actually did a little bit of internet research. And, you know, statistics are always funny, right? It matters, like, you know, how you actually look at the data and this and that, right? I was actually more pleased when I looked up the statistics of going, we've heard that the world is 50%. Your marriage is going to make it or it's not, right? You've heard this statistic? That's actually not really actually true. In fact, they found that when they took those surveys and those studies, they were lumping in all kinds of faith, no matter what kind of church you were a part of. If you believed in faith or spirituality, they threw that into the statistic. And so what they were basically comprising with wasn't really representative to, well, are you a Christian? Are you Protestant? Are you, which, which faith do you actually belong to? And they found that it's actually really more closer to one in four. Um, the study that uh, was given really said that 72% of married people are actually pretty uh, still married to their first original spouse. I've, I found that actually really interesting. And I was like, wow, one in four, I would have really thought that the statistics were way worse. And so if you hear people say it's the same inside the church or outside of the church, 
This was kind of a graphic that um, was very interesting about which kind of face, um, the one that's in the very center, I don't know if you can kind of see, uh, it's sort of the middle blue one is the one that talks about divorce, and it went through all of the different ones. Here's what I found that was really sad when I looked at this data. And this was from, I think, um, Pew Research. Uh, we actually, in Protestantism, are way worse than even some of the other faiths. And I went, ah, oh, but surely we're better in Adventism, right? So I went to the internet and I said, hmm, I wonder what the statistics is inside the Adventist church. And here's on our own Adventist uh, website talking about the marriages and uh, what that stat is. And I found that, guess what? They studied in between 1993 and 1994. So all you millennials are safe. Don't worry, this study was done before you guys were around. My generation... They took a, a, a representative of the um, Pacific Union and the Colombian Union and all of these numbers comprised, they found that also one in one four end in divorce. So you're almost correct that it's the same as what we're experiencing in the world. And um, the percentage inside of Adventism, actually, we're not even as, as well off as the Lutherans and the Nazarenes. Isn't that interesting? But you would think that we have more information, right? What's the one thing that we tout as Adventists all the time? What God instituted in the Garden of Eden was the Sabbath and the marriage, right? So we have this perspective where we go, we're going to know the information, yet what the stats are kind of telling us is that maybe that's not actually the case. But you know what? This study was taken from California, and you all crazy Californians, you know? You're the liberals, right? Did you know that's not actually even true? Because I Googled, and I said, well, which states out of the United States have the highest divorce rate, and California wasn't even on that list in those highest states? So you guys are doing pretty good. But don't pat yourself too well on the back. It's very interesting when you see the data of what's going on in the world, and then you go back and you read your Bible. Because when you read what it says in 1 Peter 2, 7, and it says that there is this precious stone, and that stone was the one that the builders rejected, and that stone became the head cornerstone, you know what they found? That is, if you actually make that stone the cornerstone in your marriage, your chances of it surviving are so much greater. 30-something percent greater. I'll tell you what, I, I didn't even know I was looking for an Adventist when I started dating my wife. The only Adventist I've ever dated, actually. My life could have gone whew, so wrong in so many different directions. And... God opened up the door for me to, to get involved in a relationship with this particular girl that really I cannot stress to you enough what a joy that's been inside of my marriage. That we share the same faith, we share the same day, we, we never have to have this long, lengthy discussion. I mean, it's just been an absolute beautiful thing. I hope that you recognize that, those of you that are seeking out relationships. Um, what about in the way that we share the gospel? I, I have 
an online ministry, Little Light Studios. If you haven't heard of us, we've, we make videos on YouTube. We talk about pop culture and things that happen in current events. And we're really just framing the Bible. And it's very interesting when you read the comments. Any, any comment readers out there? They're, 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 they're quite hilarious, but I'll tell you what. If you're involved in a public ministry and you just read the comments, it can really get underneath your skin if you don't have thick skin. And I'll tell you what, I have to really keep reminding myself, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. My war and my fight is not with these people. How do I share information? Do I beat people over the head with, hey, we know the truth and this is like, I mean, what the, the particular churches that we have in our mind that go out there and they just do not care what that truth is, they're gonna share it with you regardless. Do you think people respond very well to that? Or is there a science to how we share the truth? I mean, think about Jesus when that woman got caught in adultery, in the very act. They bring it to before Jesus. And Jesus literally is sitting there thinking in his head, listen, all the people that are trying to accuse her, they are doing all of these terrible things. He could have stood up and he could have said, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this. No way, nah, -uh, you guys are totally wrong. And and respond in that way. Instead, he responded with a gentle, those that are not sinning, throw the first stone. He didn't say everybody couldn't engage in it, right? He said, those of you that, that are, are not doing these things, you cast the first one. What a beautiful way that Jesus entered into that conversation rather than just beating people up over the head. It didn't mean that he dismissed that. It just mean that the way that he dealt with it, I think there's a lesson for us. So Jesus is, is making a comment and the reason for this sermon. It says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you to do. You see, Jesus isn't saying, listen, don't do what these guys are doing. You don't have to listen to what they said. He preferences it with saying, listen to what they say, but don't do what they do because they do not practice what they preach. They're real good at saying it verbally, but when it comes down to brass tacks, do they actually live it out? As I kind of reflected on this, we're coming into the end of the year. And I started really thinking like, Lord, you have to have a people that reflect you inside and out, right? People have to be inspired with, with, with who you are because they're seeing that in the people. They're seeing a reflection of that. And I, I always, at the end of the year, I always like to reflect on, well, how did this year go? How did this actually to work out? And I'll tell you what, as much as I understand, as much as I study, as much as I go around and, I, and I, I preach and I talk with people about it, right? There's those moments when you get on the phone and you talk with the insurance agents. Some of you know about this. My young daughter, this uh, few years ago, ended up getting pneumonia and I took her to a urgent care. It happened to be an actual Adventist urgent care. And when I got the bill, there was a $400 sitting fee. 400, what, what does that mean? 
And so when I called the insurance agent and, and, and said, you know, you're billing me for, for a sitting fee, what, what does that mean? Oh, well, if you sit in the room, you came in and you sat in the lobby, that was, that was $400. Well, where's the sign that told, I would have sat outside. And then I'm sitting there frustrated, talking to this person, going, this doesn't make any sense. I don't understand why, why you're doing this. And I'm going, you're Adventist, right? I'm Adventist. Hey, I work in a ministry. You're stealing from me. <laughs> right? We're real good at throwing out the guilt trips, right? And I was upset. My wife was like, you know what? I think I should talk to them. I'll tell you what. There are those moments that even I have to sit back and I go, do I practice what I preach? Do people actually see inside a ministry as the same as outside the ministry? I mean that as I hope you guys are reflecting on this today. And I'm going to be really utter honest with you. I've worked in ministry long enough that sometimes what you see is not always what you get. I hate to burst that bubble. But I'll tell you what, God is looking for people that practice what they preach. I love it. I, I grew up a vegetarian. I'll share this story with you just so you get a little bit of a context of what I mean by, by um, I'm still on a journey. I grew up a vegetarian. Didn't have a lick of meat in my system for generations. I'm fourth, fifth generation Adventist. And uh, when I grew up and, and, and started making choices on my own and went into the world, of course, I ate everything underneath the sun. I still ate veggie hot dogs, liked those. But I married a diehard vegetarian. I mean, my wife is the type of diehard vegetarian that she can't imagine eating it because it was alive at some point in time. Disgusting, right? And so for years, it's just easier, right? I like meat. I like the flavor of meat. I like the taste of it. It had nothing to do with that. But I said, I understand what God is asking for us to do, so eh, leave it alone. And it's very interesting. I went on a trip, and uh, often, sometimes, like if I go and I preach in Brazil, sorry for any Brazilians that are in the room, whenever I go down there, they go, you're a vegetarian, right? So you eat chicken and fish. But I'll tell you what, they will love to take me to a Brazilian barbecue. You know, the one where they cut the, cut the stuff off? Oh, man, there is nothing like the smell of seared flesh. <laughs> I'll have the salad bar. Well, I was on a trip this last year, and I ended up um, having, there was some, some meal that we ate that I said, you know what, the guys I'm with, they don't care anyway. I'm going to have a piece. Not ever thinking that this was going to get back to my family. Ever. <laughs> my kids are very much animal lovers. I mean, my son, he's 11 years old, still sleeps with stuffed animals on his bed. He loves animals. My daughter is the same as well. Well, somehow this got back to my daughter and she was flabbergasted. Dad, how could you eat that? You know that animal cruelty is wrong. <laughs> how can I argue with her? And then it just really dawned on me. Am I practicing what I preach through 
and through. Honestly, I want you to think about this. Don't just listen to what God's word says. You must do what it says. I run around and I tell people all the time about the media. What's the problem with this or that? And why not watch this or that? And why not play this type of video game, right? Because honestly, if you think about it and it's teaching you bad morals and we want to be followers of Christ and do those good things, why do we want to watch things that have bad morals? Doesn't that just make logical sense to you? If the Bible tells you not to cheat on your wife, why watch a movie that someone cheats on their wife? Does that make sense? That's just logical to me. And we have a very difficult time in our church with our young people separating out entertainment and what they're actually learning in school or the Bible or church. Listen to what Matthew 5, 19 through 23 says. What's, whosoever therefore shall break one of these shall, uh, least of the commandments and shall teach men also, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall do and teach them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. When you hear the Bible mention things like that, if you're doing what they're accused of or what God is telling or warning us, don't do what these guys are doing. You while in no case enter into heaven, your spiritual antenna should perk up. Should I really be living, utterly living what I'm preaching? You know, uh, it's very interesting in that verse, it says that, Whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of it. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever shall say, thou fool, shall also be in danger of hellfire. Have you ever called someone an idiot? I certainly have, right? Even people that I engage with online and just go, man, that's a very simple biblical truth. That person's a, blah, Right? But look at what the Bible says. I had to actually look this up. That word raka means worthless, empty-headed, brainless, idiot, foolish, or witness, or, or, or witless. If you call somebody that, you're in danger of your salvation? That's, that's a harsh statement. Do we actually look at people even that we disagree with in the church, even in simple things that we think we should understand. And, and I think what really prompted me to want to preach this is I actually got a message. We mentioned something about the Chosen series because so many people would ask questions about it. And let me tell you something. I study media for a living. Most of the 500 videos that we've made on, on YouTube, lots of them have to do with what's wrong with this piece of media. Trust me, I have looked at this through at nauseum. I watched three seasons of The Chosen. Why? Because I was dying to have something I could suggest. Something I could just say, okay, fine. Satan's under every rock. Yes, I get that. But if you're going to watch something, here's something that you can watch. That was my motive. I dismissed things in my mind, watching them, little subtle things that I said, you know what, that's not really correct. And finally, enough questions came up that I said, all of a sudden, we're going to make a video about it. 
And, and when we kind of sat down and, and, and digested some of the information, I was blown away that the guy that plays Jesus is literally a 33rd degree Freemason or equivalent as the Knights Templar. That blew my mind. Blew my mind. And we put this out and I got a message from a young person. And I am not a, a, a person that is... Um, bothered, so to say, by other people having a difference of opinion. I wouldn't probably be doing the work that I do if, if I was easily bothered. And this was a long text written on Facebook, written to me personally, written to all this stuff. How could you do this? You little light, you guys have no light anymore. Your light has gone out. You are da 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 And it was just, it was darn mean. And so as I sat and I read through this and I listened to it and I said, Lord, please help me to, if there's anything here that maybe perhaps people don't understand the work that I do, is there some way that I can share with this individual why I would make a video like that, that he was offended by watching the chosen one. And at the very end, um, he said, by the way, I'm a theology student. So I said, why don't we go to lunch? right? Who's going to deny a free meal? He wrote back, I have dietary restrictions. Well, I'm a vegetarian too. <laughs> you know, I don't know what that means. Like, 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 hey man, I'll go to Jamba Juice with you if you want to, right? I'm buying. I want to understand where you're coming from. And when I called him up on the phone and, and just wanted to hear him out, it was very interesting because what came out of that conversation is we and the church were doing it all wrong. And I'll tell you what, we're out there trying to preach Daniel and Revelation and we're just trying to scare people and we shouldn't be doing that at all. In fact, we have so much uh, Ellen White and all this stuff. We really shouldn't be putting that in this and that. And I went, oh, wow. So it isn't really even me that he has a problem with. And I just listened. And I just said, tell me what's on your heart. At the end of the conversation, I really wanted to inspire him. I said, listen, I'm sharing with you something that I had a struggle with. If you can learn something from that, then great. I'm not trying to hammer you for it. I'm not trying to tell you if you do this, you're going to H-E double hockey sticks. Like literally don't, don't misunderstand why I'm bringing this up. And I said, hey, listen, if you feel honestly convicted that we aren't doing it correctly in the church, rather than starting to broadcast that idea, why don't you pray, God, what would be the correct way that you want me to present this to the world? Labor that with God. Don't just point fingers at what everyone else is doing wrong. And that experience really made me sit back and go, man, do I do that to other people? I feel like I keep sharing these media things because that's what my struggle was. If someone can learn from my own faults and my own mistakes and what tripped me up, then hopefully that will bless you. But it was hard not to turn around and say, yeah, this guy's not got it correct. How do I love him? 
Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says, You have heard him said of the time of old that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be, uh, you may be sons of your father who is in heaven and for he makes the sun rise upon the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust. And I really, really sat and digested this. What does that mean? You know what? It's God's job to convict those people, right? It's God's job to pass whatever judgment he deems appropriate for that situation. What if that young boy would have called me up and said, hey, I saw a video that you made. You had this particular perspective in it, and I might have a different perspective. Would you be interested in hearing my perspective? In fact, can I take you to lunch over it? How many times would that kind of sharing information, even with somebody that you disagree with, be received in a positive manner? It would have totally changed the conversation. I mentioned my younger brother. Um, he's actually over in Israel right now. He keeps wanting me to go over there with him. He has a ministry um, called Gideon Rescue, and he uh, goes to the front line. Adventist Frontier Missions gave him 500 audio Bibles, and he's literally going to the front lines in Israel and passing Bibles out to people. And you could get caught up in, well, who's right and who's wrong? And is it the Jews that are, that are doing this? And he's literally coming at the situation going, I don't want to get caught up in that. People just need to hear about Jesus. What if we treated every situation like that? What if I'm not here to tell which side is right? And which, uh, one thing I've learned in the world is whichever louder microphone has somebody has, right? Seems to blast the truth more in this area. And it even matters where you live. If you live in California, you think like a bunch of crazy Californians. I, I actually love California. I'm from California through and through. When I moved to Tennessee, I was like, what? You can carry a gun on your hip? What is this crazy place? I thought that is the same. There was a lady um, named Eva Kaur. Have you ever heard of this lady? Anyone? She was a Holocaust survivor. And in fact, um, she was one of the um, Mangdala twins, I think is, is, is what his, his name was, that he was um, experimenting on them. And this particular lady who actually just recently passed away in, in 2019, she has made multiple videos. I suggest that you look this up. Snap a photo of this lady's name and watch a couple of these videos. It's amazing because she Every single year, those Holocaust survivors would get together and they would talk about the atrocities that humanity did towards them. And it was like they were keeping this thing alive year after year. And, and, and they could not, for the life of them, even bring it to forgive these, these, these Germans. And you know what she did? She actually decided to look the Germans up. And in fact, this one particular German that was still living at the time and she said, I'm going to go knock on his door, and I'm going to talk with him. And as she went and talked with him, he said she treated her with dignity and respect. And as she began to, to discuss with him, she saw and heard out of his own mouth that he was living in an utter nightmare. 
All the people that they sent to the gas chamber, he was the one that had to sign away how many people got gassed that day. And every single day, he in his mind would literally go to sleep in a nightmare. And so you know what she said? I want to write him a letter of forgiveness. She sat down and she wrote these simple words to him. I forgive you for what you did. And you are a child of God or something like that to that effect. And she gave it to him thinking that what she was going to do was ease his suffering. And you know what she actually realized? It completely dissipated any hatred in her own mind. And she ended up living this beautiful life. You should literally look this lady up. She spoke at, at Southern Adventist University. And I want you to recognize something right here. March 28, this is from um, the Chattanooga Times Express. They talked about this lady coming and talking about this experience. And her whole ministry was really circled around forgiveness. And she died July 4. She spoke at Southern in March, and she died July 4. And it's really amazing. On the 4th of July, on a day of freedom, as if God was saying, I'm letting you go to rest on a day that many people are celebrating freedom. What was her freedom? It was the forgiveness that she offered to someone else. If you have someone in your life right now that, that rubs you wrong, that you don't like, that you, you just, you have whatever issue, actually think about and pray about, Lord, how can I forgive that person and, and offer them forgiveness? Utter, ultimate forgiveness. I come from a divorced home. Anyone come from a divorced home in the, in the room? There's no winners in divorce. None. And in fact, my parents... Both of them, and I mean this with all utter and respect, I love my parents to death. They're both involved in ministries in their own capacity and their own way. And we went to go hear my children about a month ago gave a little concert um, for their school and in, in, their, in their band and their strings and stuff like this. And so my parents came, and for the first time in my life, my mother actually moved to the Chattanooga area, and I have both my parents in the same town that I haven't had since I was 11 years old. And so my family has been on this kind of journey of healing and both my parents came in to watch my children perform and they're sitting, one parent right here, they both have remarried, one parent sitting right here, I'm sitting in the middle and the other parent is sitting right there and you could literally cut the air in between my parents. They did not acknowledge each other. They did not look at each other. And I mean this with all due respect. What are we going to do? Are we going to get to heaven? And are we going to say, I'm so sorry that I was so, nah, I didn't even acknowledge you, didn't even want to talk to you. And it's all of a sudden magically going to go away when we go to heaven? Brothers and sisters, do we practice what we preach? Listen to this. Christian Service, page 189, says, in all of our associations, it should be remembered that in the experience of others, there are chapters of sealed from mortal sight. On the pages of memory are sad histories that are sacredly regarded from curious eyes. There, 
there stand registered long, hard battles with trying circumstances, perhaps troubles in the home life and the day-to-day weak in courage, confidence and faith. Those who are fighting the battle of life at great odds may be strengthened and encouraged by little attentions that cost only a loving effort. To such strong, helpful grasp of the hand of a true friend is worth more than gold or silver. Words of kindness are as welcome as the smile of angels. What if you went to that person that you can think in your mind, I don't like this person, and give them a sweet word of encouragement? Something kind to them. You'd be amazed at what God can do with that. Listen to what it says in Ministry of Healing. There are multitudes struggling with poverty, compelled to hard labor for small wages, able to secure but only the largest or barest necessities of life. Toil and deprivation with no hope of better things make their burden very heavy. When pain and sickness are added, the burden is almost insupportable. Careworn and oppressed, they know not where to turn for relief. Sympathize with them in their trials and their heartaches and their disappointments. This will open the way for you to help them, speak to them of God's promises, and pray with them and inspire them with hope. And isn't it beautiful what we just learned about before we even started this? Look at the, the, the... that video that we watched of the lady in the Ukraine, just going, you came here and you gave us something in the time of need. My younger brother went to Turkey right after that whole earthquake that happened. He got on the airplane with a search and rescue dog and it was amazing how they even got in there. Do you you know when there is something so tragic like that, it is not easy to go, I, I just want to go into the middle of that crazy environment right there. That's not an easy thing to do. And my brother had this experience after experience of showing up at the airport, getting as far as they could to Warsaw and going, I need to get into Turkey. And he's looking across the tarmac and he goes, what about those, those um, um, US uh, uh, helicopters and things that are right over there? Oh yeah, you should go and talk to them. They go right over there and they explain to the US Army what they're doing. They have search and rescue dogs and they'd like to go in there. And they actually totally said, Oh, we'll just take two helicopters and we'll fly your whole team in there. They took two Black Hawk helicopters and flew him into the very part of Turkey that he needed to be. No plan whatsoever. And you know what was amazing? In a a totally Muslim environment, it is dangerous. You are the infidel to go into that environment. And they're digging through this rubble that is beyond comprehension. You look at this, you, I, you don't even know where to start. It's as far as the eye can see. People are just literally like my family is somewhere under there. And to the Muslim faith, they don't care if you get the body back in little tiny pieces. They need to have a proper burial because they believe that will ultimately impact what happens to that life afterwards. So they're like, we don't care. Just pull the body out in any way, shape, or form and give it to us. If you're not ready to handle that kind of stress, it is mind-boggling what kind of discouragement is over there. And as they were helping this one young lady who lost her entire family, the whole building came down on her entire family. 
with her mom surrounded her children like this. The building parts all came down with all the children underneath her. And they helped this young lady. That this young lady was so impressed by this group that she's running down the streets yelling something in their native tongue. And so my brother turned around and said, what is she yelling? Because she's like appearing like she's upset. And the translator that was with them said, it's absolutely, truly amazing what she's saying. She says, you guys call these Christians infidels. You call them the defectors and that they're not worth anything. And these people have come over here and helped more than my own Muslim brothers and sisters in my time of need. They're over here just to help. Amen. And do you know that they didn't pull one survivor out of those buildings? And when his whole team came home and they were discussing about going over there and, oh, do we feel like defeated because we didn't have this experience of finding anybody alive? And, and do you know that the entire team said, we did more for those people in a time of need just being there and giving them hope. Brothers and sisters, is that what you're doing with your Christianity? Is that really truly how you are ministering to those around you, even those people that you are in a disagreeance with? It's time that we actually truly reflect the character of Jesus. Let me leave you with this. There are many whom life is a painful struggle. They feel their deficiencies and they're miserable and unbelieving and they think that they have nothing that they would be grateful for. But kind words, looks of sympathy, expressions of appreciation would be to many that are struggling and lonely as a cup of cold water to a thirsty soul. A word of sympathy and an act of kindness would lift the burden that rests heavily upon the weary shoulders. And every word or deed of unselfish kindness it's an expression of the love of Christ for lost humanity. I hope and pray that you are the vehicle to share Christ's love truly this up and coming year. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this time that we get an opportunity as a church to openly discuss and talk about what an amazing God you are, to inspire each other and to sharpen each other. We know that this time, Lord, is, is on borrowed time. And we know that someday it will not be readily available to us. So, Lord, I ask that these moments that we need to be practicing so that we can practice and practice and practice and really demonstrate those things that we are learning. Lord, I just pray that each and every person in this room is an absolute truthful reflector of all these precious truths that we hold. Do we truly, really, honestly love those around us, even if we disagree with them? Lord, have mercy upon us and help us to learn that lesson. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. 
If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.